0: Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick. This is episode number 39 of the Mandolins Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you this week by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors with courses including... Beginning Mandolin, Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin, and her newest, her newest module, Sharon Gilchrist. Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites at the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. Monroe Style Mandolin with Mike Compton. Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman. Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein. Irish Mandolin with Marla Feibish and Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MandolinBeer at checkout. That's MandolinBeer, all one word. Also, last week, ToonFox advertised about their new virtual camp, so I thought I'd get Tristan Scroggins on the phone and I'll have him talk about it. So, Tristan, how you doing today, buddy?
1: Oh, I'm doing okay, Dan. How are you
0: doing? <laughs> doing all right. Doing all right. So you got this virtual camp with uh, ToonFox coming up, and I thought it'd be cool to hear what you're going to be teaching at this camp here to try to get some people to sign up.
1: Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, Bennett put together this virtual uh, experience since we can't do the in-person camp we were planning on doing. So there's going to be a couple of, uh, it's still going to be interactive to the extent that uh, it, it can be. Uh, and there's going to be quite a bit of uh, classes during the day Uh, there's two levels each day for each instrument Um, kind of a beginner and then more of like an intermediate advanced sort of level Mm -hmm. and the things that I'm teaching at the beginner level are a lot of just sort of fundamentals like exercises double stops and tremolo that sort of thing and then the advanced classes there's some There's some exciting stuff That I really enjoy teaching Like building a bluegrass mandolin solo Which is where Something I developed last year uh, Where we take a song like Say your love is like flower Mm -hmm. And learn the melody And then uh, listen to uh, Some fiddle players playing the melody And some other instruments And how they interpret the melody And then also listen to how the singer, in the case I usually use for that one, Muster Flat, singing the melody and uh, kind of take apart his phrasing and things like that and try to apply that and build a more interesting melodic solo that way. Oh, sweet. And then also a little, yeah, that's a lot of fun. And then also a little intro to um, cross-picking, just, you know, kind of talking about uh, at least the way that I I do it and um, the applications that I use it for a lot. So and then I think there's also maybe like a Q and A um, sort of session every day later in the day. You can also take multiple instruments. Um, it's a really cool schedule. It's, uh, Bennett was able to. Uh, he, he he has so so much experience with this. Online teaching stuff that it it felt really seamless for to transition from in person to online for this camp.
0: Oh, that's so cool! That's so cool. Yeah. Well, excellent. So, thank you for taking some time out of your day here to uh to talk about it. Um, it sounds awesome, man. And anybody who's seen you on Instagram or live, uh, they know the quality of player that you are. And uh, being able to sit down and and. And have you teach that sort of stuff? It's like a great resource. So I'm I'm, I'm glad to see you out there doing it, buddy.
1: Oh well, thanks, Dan. Thanks for uh, asking me back on.
0: Yeah, man. Anytime, buddy. All right. Thanks everybody for checking out the uh, podcast. And if you uh, if you're a new listener, please click subscribe. That would be awesome. I've also got an Instagram and Facebook page, Mandolins and Beer. I also have a Patreon page as well. With all sorts of videos and tabs up there it's eight bucks a month Or you could just go there and support the podcast It's four bucks a month Let's get into the Andy Wood episode Andy's a killer player, man Super nice guy Andywoodmusic.com for all his stuff I'll have links at the Mandolins of Beer website as well For you to go to and find Andy I also have the, uh, a clip of that Bohemian Rhapsody That he does that we talk about in here On Solo Mandolin, which is amazing um, So let's get into the episode Cheers everyone, take care Alright, now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Andy Wood. Andy, how you doing today, buddy?
2: Man, thanks
0: for having me on, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of both mandolin
2: and beer, so thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: absolutely, <laughs> man. I'm a, I'm a fan of your playing. I remember seeing um, one of your videos came across the Mandolin Cafe site. And uh, it was one of those cracking the codes where they had the camera on your picking hand, and people were like, "Holy cow!" <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, keep do it, do whatever you can do to keep the camera off my face. You
0: know? <laughs> oh man, no, that was that's great stuff, and I'd love to get into that a a bit with you here. Um, first off, let's talk a little bit. You have that True Fire course, bluegrass mandolin that just came out recently. Yeah, yeah, those guys down at True
2: Fire, they're great, man. I really love. Uh, I, I love brad and, and, and his and his crew down there man they're they're the top top people to work with i've done i think i'm at like three or four courses now and i wanted to do uh they hit me up about you know uh mandolin and i was like well let's just do kind of a overview if you've never maybe you just have always played guitar and you need like the the, the introduction the gateway drug to mandolin you know and and so i kind of hit them with the standard bluegrass you know red-haired boy whiskey for breakfast and talk about technique and stuff and how it differentiates from guitar and uh you know kind of how to get a foothold in the game essentially
0: right right yeah and i know she had you were showing some things like kickoffs and tags there on the preview which is a lot of stuff i think people like when when you watch youtube videos sometimes you'll see you'll learn a tune and you don't really you, you go to a jam and all of a sudden somebody's like kicking a tune off you're like oh wait a minute that's how people kick off red hair boy they end it and everybody knows what's going on you're like whoa what's that tag there or they don't even know what's a tag they're just like what's that little thing at the end and I thought it's great you add all that stuff
2: yeah I mean that's kind of the uh what I wanted to do with the course you know what you just described is perfect that's worded well because um you know guys do uh get into jam scenarios and then there's a whole language that's happening that's not really ever acknowledged you know, and mm-hmm. traditional stuff. And uh, like, like, I, I don't know what else to call it, but that language that that uh, if you've been to 30 fiddle festivals and bluegrass festivals, you kind of you kind of know the language right inherently. But if you come in from a scenario where you've played uh, Give Me Three Steps and "Mustang <laughs> Sally your whole life. And you get in, it's like you know, give me three steps. Starts off with bam, bam. You know, it's like starts off with the thing. Uh, whereas like bluegrass, it's not like that. You know, it starts off with uh, with those little four. My granddad always called them the four potatoes. You know, and, <laughs> that's you great. Know, it's like the, the double shuffles or whatever, and and whatever you want to call them. So, yeah, it was really important to me. I I had to teach that, you know, and I still try to teach uh, when I do clinics, master classes, or tuitional stuff. I try to teach from the perspective that I I learned from. And it was, you know, my my granddad's front porch. You know, it's
0: how we learned. That's amazing. So, I mean, people might be coming across this podcast by just seeing your name uh, and knowing you as a mind blowing guitar player. I mean, it's your unbelievable guitar player. You're just as good at the mandolin. And so I'd love to know maybe how did you start off? You just talk about, you know, on your grand, your granddad's porch.
2: Yeah, gosh, man, I, I appreciate those kind words. I feel like I'm still learning every day. Just a little background, uh, you know, I, I grew up in western North Carolina. Um, you know, my dad was a cop. My mom, you know, kind of worked front desk. We didn't have a ton of money. I mean, I played probably $300 Alvarez most of my learning years formative years and it was, it was the only reason we played that is because it's what my granddad had laying around the house you know it wasn't like <laughs> wasn't like uh you know you, you starting out on an f5 or something crazy like that you know i definitely didn't have that kind of background my granddad worked in construction and uh he had three daughters and one daughter had me and one daughter had my cousin and uh so when he had two boys two grandsons we were five years old six years old he you know, we, we started, you know, it's kind of like an organ grinder and it's two monkeys. Kind of <laughs> that, you know? And uh, so, uh, you know, he started us on all that, that, that old traditional fiddle tune music. He loves fiddle tunes. He's still alive. He still plays. And, uh, he loves fiddle tunes. He loves Kenny Baker and, and, uh, you know, Blaine Sprouse and, Byron Burline and you know, Joey Wise. I mean, like all his, his fiddle fiddle players, fiddlers. You know, obviously things like O'Connor. But dating back a little bit farther, you know, obviously my granddad's age and stuff is like this. Is the fiddle players that played with Bill, uh, you know. Uh, back in the, back in the day, and I, it's so freaking good to be on a podcast where I can say Bill and everybody knows who I'm talking about, and Absolutely. not have to explain it. You know, because <laughs> this, this never gets to happen. Usually, most people are like, "Now, Bill who?" and I'm just like, "Oh man!" <laughs> so it's great to be on a podcast, just be able to say that. Um, but, but anyways, continuing on, played Mandel. Obviously, I worshipped at the altar of Sam Bush uh, my whole life. One of the most important records I ever listened to was "Glamour and Grits." I was at the Merle Fest. I was probably eleven or twelve when, uh, when you, you know the the iconic Merle Fest, where it's Mark and Bela and Jerry and Tony. I, I was there, wow. and I remember Merle Fest being a thing as a kid that we you know we go to. I'd play on the playground. You know, it's like it's <laughs> like there's it only, gosh, I mean it seems like when we were going there's only three or four thousand people that go to it, maybe five thousand. It was never. And then something happened, you know, one day I went and it was just like, what do you mean there's a hundred thousand people at this thing? Like, you know, (laughs) what?" so, uh, we grew up in that kind of world, uh, went all over to the little state competitions that they have in, in Kentucky and Tennessee and and Georgia and stuff. We'd win some, we'd lose some, you you know, I used to compete against guys like, uh, Andy Leftwich and Cody and those guys. Um, and then, you know, careers happen and, and they four different ways. But every now and then I'll run into Andy in Nashville and give my a high five or something. But I, I don't get to see those guys at all very much. But the way I got into electric guitar from Mandolin, I, I bought the Mark O'Connor New Nashville Cats record, obviously because Sam and Bela and Jerry and Russ Berenberg and all those guys were on it. And uh, there was a Brent Mason solo on Pick It Apart and that's when that's that was how i got into electric guitar yeah it was that that record and then and then from there i got into eric johnson steve moore sticks and dregs i always you know whatever any any kind of good music and uh my my career led me down the path of electric guitar and and uh instrumental electric guitar and stuff like that blending and now i'm coming full circle and blending more of those southern roots into the things i'm doing these days but yeah it was it's funny all those guys stayed in the grass scene got these big high profile gigs with skags and stuff and i went the other direction i'm on stage rascal flats man it's just like crazy how the world kind of spins things at you but you know i get to see um paul brewster i i, I about once or twice a year paul will put together a gig at the station inn or you know whatever and we'll all get together a bunch of grassers will get together and go to there it's really cool um but yeah man you know it's just kind of the scene you're just growing up in the grass scene you and then you know I, I took a left turn apparently when I discovered what a Telecaster was. Wow.
0: <laughs> so you, um, you definitely have some, uh, incredible, uh, technique. And so how did, how did those practice days back when you're starting as far as, uh, you know, young Andy, when you're listening to glamour and grits and stuff like that and, and sitting down and playing for hours, what, w- what did that look like for you? Was it just playing music? Was it working scales?
2: Oh, I'll tell you right now, I was always learning tunes first, playing along with records first. And, and I, if I can nerd out with you for just a minute. Please do. It's one of my favorite stories that I never get to tell because nobody wants to hear about my mantle playing. They always <laughs> want to hear about electric <laughs> guitar stuff. Uh, man, I had an old cassette, Mike Snyder, Live on the Boat. Um, if any of our listeners uh, can find a copy of this and get it to me, I'd love to have it. It was only on cassette, and I wore out two or three cassettes uh it was guy named bob clark playing mandolin uh bobby clark i think he's from oklahoma he played with mike it was live on the general jackson uh the cassette was yellow i'll never forget the cassette cover was yellow and the cassette itself was white that cheap white plastic you know and there was a tune on there a tune on there called the one-legged gypsum and uh man i must have wore out two two cassettes trying to learn that thing with the rewind button you know <laughs> I'm a cusp child. You know, it's interesting. Anybody in their thirties, uh, we, you know, we remember when AOL and YouTube wasn't a thing. And, and then like, and then all of a sudden it is. So nowadays, if you want to learn something, if you want to learn a Chris Thiele thing, I mean, find a video, of Chris showing it to you. You know what I mean? It's like interesting back then, uh, especially bluegrass. There wasn't any, There, you don't know. I mean, the only instructional video I had was the Sam Bush one, you know, where he fiddle, Sam plays fiddle tunes or whatever, it was called, you know, I had that. And, uh, but in general um yeah that man if anybody can get me a copy of that bobby clark that live on the boat is mike snyder record and one of my hero moments was i've got to i was at the opry i was playing the opry one night i think i was playing with low cash or flats or somebody and mike was back there playing and he was just sitting in his room playing uh playing uh claw yeah he plays a lot more Clawhammer these days than he does the scrug stuff and uh and so i got to sit down we played Angeline the baker so just in his room and i was like and I told him after we got in the jamming, he was like, oh, son, you're good. And I was like, he's like, who are you, who are you picking with I was Like Rascal Flatts. He goes, well, they ain't bluegrass. You know funny? I, <laughs> I was like, I oh, know, you know, I play guitar with those guys, but I always take my mantle with me. So I got to play and I told him how important, uh, you know, that Live on the Boat record was to me. Another really important record for listeners, uh, really rare. You can get this on YouTube. It's called The Young Mando Monsters. Oh,
0: yeah. Have you heard that? Yeah, I have it. I have it. It's incredible, dude.
2: So, so it's got a tune on it by P- called Pale Rider. Captain Emery Lester, back in the day, Emery had the, the Chris Thiele tone happening before, you know, Chris Thiele had it happen. You know, it's just like you know, that, that super squeaky clean, you know, kind of tone, the Adam Steffi thing, Chris thing. I, I'm, I'm kind of into that, uh, that really clean thing. Uh, but other times I'm kind of into like the, the more raw thing. You know, it's like it's like a, a musical diet. I like all of it. Um, <laughs> that record was really important when I went out to Winfield and was doing the contest and all that stuff. I used to play Pell Rider and One Legged Gypsy and all on, on tunes that I'd learn. Uh, it was really cool. I got I, The judges, if they like modern stuff, I'd always do real well in the contest. <laughs> if they like traditional <laughs> stuff, I'd never place, you know.
0: It yeah, like, it's like 50-50, uh, dude. It's
2: <laughs> uh, like crapshoot. He who's on the other side of the table, you know. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, those records were really important to me. And, uh, of course, Sam Bush and, and everything he was ever on, you know. Uh, the the obvious one to me that I think about learning, my granddad had it on on record, he had vinyl, was uh, uh, Newgrass revival live from Paris, where they have Good Woman's Love and White Freightliner yeah. and all that stuff on. Yeah, man, that's just that's just like Sam and Bela when they're young and in their fighting weight and hungry and playing like they got something to prove. You know, I, I, like I love Sam now and I love his show now. He's aged so gracefully uh, and he's still such a hero he called me up out of the audience when when he played Knoxville and I just couldn't believe it. You know, he called me up to pick with him on stage. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy, but I still love to go back to those old records when all them guys were in their twenties and early thirties and just playing like they had something to prove, you know?
0: Oh yeah, man. There's a couple, um, a couple of really great, uh, things out on YouTube of like the, like the rice fleck, um, and Bush, uh, the Birchmere sessions when they do those like acoustic all-star sets, just fire from start to finish.
2: <laughs> man, you got to send me some links on that stuff. I'm yeah, always definitely, like man. Stuff, man. Oh, and dude, I'm they're always-
0: so good. They're yeah, so it's good.
2: great. And then, and then, of course, you know when Thieley dropped onto the scene, it kind of re, re, just reach. It changed the game. You know, it was like I remember when uh, that first record came out had Shadow Ridge on it, stuff, and then that the second one with baseball, we sent in the dugout, whatever that was called. Oh I yeah. Oh yeah. Still, uh, still
0: in second or something. Yeah. Something
2: like it. Some, it's kind of base, it's like a baseball. Yeah. It's always yeah. a
0: baseball. Analogy. So anyways,
2: I had both of those and it kind of, you know, it, that, that, that was just kind of, you know, hearing some, hearing it going in a different direction was really fascinating to me. And I got and and, you know, and that's when I was getting into O'Connor real heavy, heavily and trying to put those fiddle triplets onto man. When you talk about technique, I was always listening to, banjo and fiddle i mean man all my cross picking that everybody always wants to talk about like right hand technique that everybody wants to talk about man it's just because i wasn't a banjo player and i wanted to be you know? <laughs> I'm trying to learn that that role in those kinds of sounds that Bela was doing and, and 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 apply them to my to my instruments you know I, I never looked at music as like only learn the thing that your instrument has I mean, I, I think, you know, is probably one of my biggest musical influences of all time, you know, and I don't even play the banjo. Yeah. Or if I do, it sucks, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, that Drive album's amazing.
2: I mean, everything that everything guy ever did was amazing. And it, and it was more of an approach, right? It wasn't really just a record. Like, it was like sound. Yeah. It was like his, his approach, his thought, his concept. Like, that's what I always got into and got fascinated by with players. is like, not just learning something note for note. You can get on YouTube and see anybody become a parrot and regurgitate something note for note. I was more into like, how do I sound like him if I'm playing something that he's never played, you know, and I'm playing an instrument that he doesn't play? Like, how do I, how do I implement Bela technique into mandolin and, and these days guitar? And I mean, gosh, money, it's like, I, I owe that guy so much. It's <laughs> like, I feel like I'm paying my mortgage by playing Bela Fletcher <laughs> on guitar,
0: you know? It's like... So how did you approach, like, what was, what was your thought process when sitting down for people who are listening going, yeah, man, how do I, how do I try to emulate Bela Fleck on a mandolin? What was, what was the approach that you took? It's going to be different for everybody, but uh, you're a great example.
2: Man, I think I think my approach is interesting because I didn't really think about it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I listened to it. I tried to just imagine the visualization in my head of, like, what that sound is. And I just looked for it on the mandolin and 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 the guitar. I kind of have to talk about both of them at the same time, you know, um, but yeah, it's like if I heard like the thing that a a Scruggs style banjo player does is that constant stream of eighth notes the The instrument doesn't have any sustain mandolin and two mandolin doesn't really have a lot of sustain. Uh, I know that guys are probably on listening to me like, oh, yeah, it does. I'm like not like a freaking electric guitar <laughs> through a Marshall. you know what I mean It <laughs> ain't <Yeah>. got that sustain, <laughs> you know. So, so, um, I always heard those kind of rolls and that that really lush sound that Bela had that that other banjo players really hadn't tapped into. you know, it was like every other banjo player kind of had more of that like that you know j d crow or 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 Stanley, or you know the 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 more like clanky, aggressive, grassy kind of tone that i I swear I love I mean, I love it. But just like young young me looking is like that lush rolling thing that Bela would have and and those that constant stream of eighth notes, that's what I was kind of after. And, uh, even just if you'd sit on one note, you'd find a way to have keep playing more notes to make it sustain. And it wasn't like there was, it was like running linear lines, like a fiddle player. It was like, you know, using pedal tones and things like that to your advantage. And, 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 and I was mutating open string things, um, you know, to, 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 kind of facilitate that i just kind of and i still to this day man i'm still searching you know i'm still searching for you know how do i implement the things that i'm into and i've been kind of developing some four string cross picking on electric guitar that i'm kind of searching for the sound in my head i hadn't heard gosh other than steve morris music in a compositional factor i've not really heard any guys on electric guitar do it and it's like and I'm looking for this thing that I, I, like when I close my eyes, I can hear Bela play, you know? And I, and I think when people are like, well, how do I do it? It's like, man, close your eyes and and look for the sound internally. Like what is the sound that you're hearing? I think that's a big thing is like when people learn to play, they're so focused on their hands and their eyes. They're not focused with that internal, that, that, that in- introspective listening kind of thing. You know, I think that's really important to keep, keep, always keep that turned on, you know? and, and and that's a, a, like a, the way, you know, someone learns a language or a second language or whatever. It's like, it's one thing to learn it from a book. It's another thing to go live in another country and be forced to listen, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I did it. I mean, I didn't have YouTube. I mean, it's like, again, it goes back to that thing. It's like now in my 30s, uh, you know, I, did, I was a cusp child. I didn't have the video thing. So I, especially with the kind of records I was listening to, like, man, I'm like, God, I can't even find a copy of Live on the Boat. Now, you know, it's like my so, much less even try to like find a video of Bob Clark playing. It. It's like, they just don't exist. like, the, it doesn't exist, you know? So it's, I think that's a big thing of like, you know, when people are learning is I take advantage of YouTube, take advantage of the internet and take advantage of everything you got. But for me, it's uh it's, it's a matter of always keeping listening at the front, at the, at the forefront. Um, and I think that's what keeps you happy too. People get depressed about their playing. Lord knows I, I get depressed about my playing, you know, it's like, I always go back to something and listen to something that makes me feel good and uh, it kind of kind of knocks knocks the dust and the cobwebs away a little bit I, I know that's kind of deep maybe too deep but no that's not like, at all man it's that's, I, that's, you, you ask like how I learned it's like man, I just try to listen and just
0: try no, to that's listen. that's great dude speaking of like YouTube and and, and not having that you do have uh, some pretty killer YouTube videos out there we should point that out for listeners to uh to make sure to search you out on YouTube and um yeah
2: yeah uh youtube's been interesting with this pandemic thing um because uh previously to this you know i've been touring for six seven years hard and uh in various formats and uh you know being home i always had a youtube channel but all of the videos that people know me from were on other people's you know channels whether it be sir guitar world magazine or like whatever you know i mean Mm -hmm. wherever it came from and since i've been home i've been you know Trying to learn how to, you know, make better YouTube videos. You know, I've never been on iMovie in my life till this pandemic, and now here I am <laughs> trying to edit and crop and and make stuff look good. So yeah, viewers want to pop over to my YouTube channel or my Patreon. I'm I'm trying to upload as much content to those outlets as possible. You know,
0: and it's um it's funny because some people who we we or I said earlier, you know, if you're found you from this and not you don't know you're a mandolin player, if you aren't familiar with Andy Wood. The guitar player, by some chance, you are in for a a huge surprise when you see the footage of you out there. I mean, you are just so good at both instruments. (laughs) I mean, you uh, your guitar playing stuff. Like you said, you're doing videos for Guitar World and uh, and Sir and all these incredible, incredible things. So I just really appreciate you taking the time to be on this and talk some mandolin.
2: Hey, I'm glad to be here, man. It's like, I, it's, it's, I, I never get to do this, so this is as rewarding for me as anybody else, you know.
0: You got that, um, you're on a video with um, the Hit Points doing a Castlevania video game theme song, and um, it, it maybe it's so good. Do you, uh, do you read? Do you sight read? Did you go to school for any type of music like uh- that? That's, that's a trick question. Yes, I went to
2: school. At one point, I considered myself somewhat of a reader, mm-hmm. but I couldn't read my way out of the first page these days. I just It's, <laughs> it's that, that skill set that if you don't use it, you lose it, you know, and, and, and I never am forced to sight read sheet music. Um, It's always, you know, coming at me in like a number chart or, for example, with the Castlevania thing, I, I'm 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 with Eli and Matt quite a bit because mm-hmm. I hired these guys to do my my instrumental stuff. I only I only like to turn hire those guys. I'm I'm blessed that they'll even get on stage and and pick. It's like Matt Matt might be one of the best banjo players like on earth at this moment in time. And I think it's amazing that I even know who the guy is, much less like have him on my shows. Like he is a he is just a gifted player. And uh he's incredible. He's the one that arranged that that Castlevania thing. Realized a fiddle player and equally, you know, can't say enough good things about his playing. And uh, he's he, on that hit points record. I think he, he arranged like three or four, Matt arranged four or five or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like they kind of split it down and then got together and played them. But yeah, yeah, that nuts, that nuts outro was was all Matt and all, all those arpeggios lay out just like complete crap on <laughs> <laughs> None Of, arpeggios, of course. Like the fingering <laughs> for those arpeggios are terrible. So it's just like, you just kind of have to hold your breath and, each time you do it i remember sitting here trying to get a good take on on video and it i'm, I'm i must have took freaking 10 or 15 swings at that outro you know wow it, it's, it's it's pretty nuts um did you just it by ear? yeah yeah um wow. i I, <laughs> I actually emailed matt and, or facetimed him skyped him or whatever and i was like look man because uh eli sent me the street sheet music eli and matt doesn't have it written out eli wrote it out um and I, I, was, I had a couple of questions about fingerings, and uh, because Matt, I think Matt played that on the album. I only played it on the video. I didn't play it on the on the actual uh, album. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure Matt played it, and uh, I, I I actually called him. I was like, man, I was like, tell me that you, that's not all one take. Just <laughs> just make me feel better about myself. And he sent me back one of the funniest texts of all time. He goes, God, no, that thing looks like a barcode. Talking about this. <laughs> I thought that was one of the funniest ways to ever word something. Oh my god, that's great! Those fingerings (laughs) and those transitions are a nightmare. And I and I talked it out. So you know, when you get into music of that level of intensity, I think it truly is. When you talk, when you hear guys say, "Oh man, it's a team effort. It's a band effort." I mean, absolutely, Uh, because you're talking about like putting music of extremely high difficulty um, onto instruments where the fingerings it just doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Right. Oh Uh, yeah. Is some of those intervals, uh, there's, there's a couple of points where it's jumping through, you know, and j- jumping over two octaves or something, you know, and it's, and it's like the fingerings don't make sense in this. And, and it would be fine if it was played at some kind of mortal tempo, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's six, eight set to stun, you know what I mean? So, the,
1: <laughs> so
2: you know, I think that's the other thing about it is, that, you know, tempo is always a, a factor. We, but those guys, man, like we, We'll do, they're so cool, man. They learn my stuff, my nerdy guitar stuff and we'll duel the arpeggios and songs and crowds love it because my my fans from the electric guitar world they man half those guys never seen a banjo player live you know in their life you know people come to those electric guitar shows and Steve Vai shows and those kinds of things they don't listen to bluegrass they don't see banjo and so it's fun to take matt menifee and eli into those environments and have them playing that music with me because it's like they're getting to see this stuff played at a super elite level on an instrument they've never got to see before and then halfway through the show the bass player and the drummer will leave the stage and I'll get my mandolin and Eli and Matt and I will get kind of Dale McCurry up, huddle around and play a couple of fiddle tunes or maybe play the Sonic, the hedgehog from hit points. We've done that one a little bit and, uh, or we'll do some bluegrass standards or, you know, like, you know, and it's it's fun to kind of, expose that fan base to some Bill Monroe tunes and 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 you can't tell you how many messages I've had people being like man I just didn't realize that bluegrass was so cool you know or or I didn't realize that bluegrass had you know such a fiery playing or whatever it might be you know and and it's cool it's cool just to be a vessel uh you know a banner carrier for the genre and take it into the the worlds of of distortion and docking and van halen and and (laughs) get those get those fans to kind of you know check out some some new grass and some Bayla fleck stuff like that
0: yeah yeah they um you know i think sometimes people associate especially if they aren't familiar with it the the playing of bluegrass they just kind of think of it's just acoustic instruments how how much fire could be in there and then you know you so they get turned on to uh, a guy like you doing it and they get turned on to, you know, all the stuff out there. And it's, it's an eye opener. I can 100% where see where somebody at a Steve Vai show would be like, Whoa, <laughs> I'm going to buy yeah, it's, bluegrass. It, it's
2: cool because, yeah. Like, like uh, not to interrupt. No, like, no, not at all. It's
0: cool to see those, those
2: fans get turned on to a guy like me or, or, or like allow me to get them and aim them towards a guy like, uh, you know, what's his name? Jake Workman or T- Trey Hensley or some of those guys. Cause guitar is guitar and they go they they, you know you see them who guy who's grown up with eric johnson or steve morris and all of a sudden they see you know a guy like trey hensley flat top picking and just they're like holy cow i, I thought that bluegrass was for people you know i didn't know it was <laughs> i didn't know it was like shred on a on a martin you know
0: yeah boy trey's so good holy cow
2: such a nice guy too man i i, I thought i keep up with him and and uh
0: man he's he's a great guy and you know you have a, a couple albums where your mandolin is incorporated. You have a brand new album actually, uh, *Junktown* that just came out.
2: yeah yeah, and then, yeah uh, that, that album came out last year um worked really hard on it and it, it's like going full circle uh bringing m- more acoustic instruments into my actual sound and leaning more into that kind of gives the record like a lot of fans have compared it to the dixie dregs or something like that because there is like you know what i mean it's like it's kind of Like there's a tune called Beyond the Reef that's written as a duo between mandolin and electric guitar. I'd always segregated that stuff on my records before and done like the acoustic side or the acoustic songs and the electric songs separate. And now I'm trying to like mush it up together and have, you know, the title track of the record is like a a tune that features
0: banjo and electric guitar together.
2: So it's like, I'm just trying to like find my lane and use my influences and make my own gumbo, you know?
0: Yeah, that's so great. And I love your album, uh, Caught Between a Truth and a Lie. There's some amazing playing all over that album. And more importantly, the songs are composed really well, which is like the huge difference between a great album is, you know, like you listen to something has got great playing, it doesn't do anything for you. And then there's great playing in great songs together. And that to me is just like, whoa, such a rarity sometimes.
2: Man, that was a, uh... That was a labor of love. That record had a lot of work into it because it is a double record. You know, there's 24,
0: 25
2: songs on it. And uh, the title track to the album was written on mandolin, but it's also played on the electric side. It's like, that was like the theme was like to hold the whole record together was play the same song on both sides of the album. Yes. In like a different format, like kind of concept record. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to take, iconic classic rock bands and put them into bluegrass format. So we chose to do, you know, Led Zeppelin's Cool in the Rain, soon and 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 there was a lot of things that went in that record and then you know on the other side of the record there's there's all the shredding and and electric guitar stuff so man i appreciate the kind words about the compositions um it 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 definitely (laughs) it was an expensive undertaking you always think (laughs) making a record is expensive but then when you're doing a double record it's like you're making two at the same time (laughs) it's just like wow man
0: how do you go about, like, writing if you were on some of those tunes like that? Is this, you know, I know it's kind of tough to say, like, how do you write songs? But, you know, do you have, like, a a particular song? Maybe you got a cool story about how it came about, uh, you know, via mandolin maybe? or
2: Yeah, man. Um, I write songs, like, just sitting on my couch, and, and sometimes I'll even have a melody that I'll just sing into the phone on my my camera phone. And, or if I have something, if I got a guitar riff floating around or a mandolin riff floating around, I'll I'll put that melody into my... My phone and then just take that down to my studio and put it into logic and then let the song kind of grow from there i'll just come back and visit stuff like what i like to do is record 50 to 60 what i call verse and choruses like like i always try to make sure a song is good the hook is good before i try to produce the crap out of it and compose the crap out of it and arrange the crap out of it i'm just like can i remember this hook is this hook memorable and if it's not, then it ends up not making the record, you know? Sure. Because it's one thing to play, like you said, just just a bunch of hot playing or hot, you know, like that. But I, I, I want songs that sound like things that the non-kicker would enjoy, you know, just, just a, a non-player. And it's really important for me to connect on that because uh, we all have to keep in mind at some point in our lives, we were the non-player, you know, and and... and And so I think that's a big focus for me when I'm composing and I don't really, I don't sit down with like sheet music and, and, or, or any of that stuff or guitar. I certainly don't sit down in guitar pro and program something and then learn it. I I just, I sit like a, like a Southern boy, I sit with my mandolin and pick and and if something sticks to me, I record it on on my phone. Um, As far as like a certain song that you asked about, it's got a great story, Mm -hmm. probably that title track, truth and lie, that's gotten, that's gotten me a lot of, uh i don't know notoriety or whatever but I, I wrote that on mandolin people have only ever heard most of my fans have only recognized it as an electric electric tune, and they they don't realize that i wrote right on mandolin a lot of the times tune on my new record uh junk town is called uh there's one called forgotten secrets And that was actually written on mandolin too, um, so you see, you see, you hear the final product, and it's like a big shred electric guitar thing. <laughs> and its origin point is probably just on a mandolin, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, I just I try to I try to take a really organic kind of hippie approach, where it's just like, do I like the way this sounds or not, and, and try not to overthink it when I'm when I'm on those early phases of composition.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, it's working, whatever you're doing. (laughs) I
1: don't know about that, but thanks.
0: um, Another thing, I meant to mention this when we were uh, talking about YouTube, but you have a YouTube video out there of you doing a solo mandolin arrangement of Bohemian Rhapsody.
2: Yeah. Yeah. that was
0: pretty, pretty nuts. uh, How how does that come about?
2: (laughs) God, I don't know. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, it's a tune that I I loved my whole life. Um, My cousin and I loved Wayne's world growing up and, and, and that's the first time I heard it was in Wayne's world. And, and so when the, you know, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie was coming, you know, the, the, uh, what is it? Uh, the queen movie that, that came out, you know, it was so oh, good. Oh yeah. 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 I was like, Oh man, it'd be kind of cool to do this. You know, I got online and, and I was searching for Bohemian Rhapsody on Mandolin. And I realized literally there's not one, like nobody's ever done it. And I was like, man, I'm, I may be the only Mandolin player stupid enough to try to do this. Let's <laughs> just see how much I, it started with like, let's see how much of it I can figure out. Right. And like how, and it started kind of just like a, as a game to myself, then I realized I had to change the key. I think the original key is B flat. Um, there's, and, and there's, you have to use the open strings, you know, sure. to, to, to make things happen on a huge composition like that on a mandolin and mandolin only has four notes. So you got to take how many layers of overdubs and choose four notes. <laughs> right. You know? yeah. So I was like, well, first of all, I've got to change the key. So I put it in G mm-hmm. and, um, uh, and then just started, I just kind of started whittling away at it, you know, like an old man that whittles on his front porch. So I just kind of was like taking little pieces of it at a time. I, I started like sniffing out classical guitar players and their arrangements. And I think there's a kid that Jake Shimabuku. Oh, yeah. That, Holy uh, cow. What, yeah, he plays like a, a ukulele. ukulele. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. So he, he had a version of it. So I just kind of started like searching out all these different solo versions and I was finally out ended up at it and i was up there filming with troy grady film filming some technique stuff and we were on lunch break and i just started playing it he's like dude we have to video this right now and i was like no nah, man it's not it's no good i'm not i was really self-conscious about it and uh he he talked me into it and so we did it and he made it look awesome with the lights and stuff in the background that was actually the studio and uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things you talk about high pressure it's like to make it through a six seven minute tune solo mandolin version of that like i, I immediately just want to go home and take a nap
0: yeah <laughs> the first time i watched it made me sweat just thinking about the pressure <laughs> like oh man yeah, it was, it's... it's pretty funny
2: that's like i guess it's really you know it's it's like i see people like sierra and chris do these inhuman feats of musical strength and i'm just like wow man i, I got practice <laughs> it's yeah. like, so it's like that that kind of thing man it's and and You know the bohemian thing just kind of came as a as a joke to myself and then it ended up being something way cooler, you know, and and it's it's kind of dedicated. I have a friend here in town. She's uh she's older and uh, her and her husband come to all my shows and it was her birthday and she's a classic rock fan. So I played it at at a show for her birthday and that was the first time I played it in public. And I think I've only played it at two shows and I just kinda hung it up. I was like I (laughs)
0: this I'm like oh man yeah i can't imagine holy cow i
2: just make but ju- just make it through two shows and quit playing it and you'll never mess up you know That's, <laughs> yeah, just don't do it <laughs> yeah
0: exactly <laughs> i'm two for two you know <laughs> yeah and, and are those guys the um the guys who uh is it eli and matt are they also on that live album of yours uh th- th-
2: they're not it's actually my cousin playing on the live album
1: oh no kidding Brian <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah yeah the black guy in the we're gonna do a live stream and re-release it. Um, it was on iTunes Movie for a while on Amazon. We're gonna re-release uh, the, the the concert so you can see the video of it. But yeah, that's my cousin that I grew up playing with. And, oh, no uh, kidding. Yeah, so it was really special. My granddad was at that show and and you know it was cool. That was a cool moment, you know, to be playing a big fancy theater sold out under my own my own moniker. You know, I played a lot of big venues and gigs, but I was always a side man for somebody else So so to have him at that show. And and that was really important to me, kind of a special moment, you know.
0: Crowd. We, I mean you toured with Rascal Flats. What's the biggest crowd you played in front of?
2: Hundred and hundred and nineteen, I think, something like that. Hundred and
0: twenty. Uh, we, we opened. And that, that's thousand, by the way, for people who are yeah, like, that's yeah, not, yeah. not a lot of people.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I did a couple of big ones. One, I did the halftime show at Neyland Stadium. I'm a big, you know, obviously in Knoxville, everything's orange here. So right, big right. fan. I have my own orange guitar and it's kind of so, you know <laughs> it's like kind of thing. Um but I played the halftime show at Neyland and that was a hundred and eight or a hundred and nine, whatever the stadium was, it was sold out. It was the the show, it was the the um, Nashville, you know, what are what are they called? The Admirals. What's their football? Vanderbilt. So it was Vanderbilt and, and UT oh, playing okay. wow. at, 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 at Neyland. And that was a big one. And then Another one was when we opened. I was with Flats. We opened for the Rolling Stones. Oh, wow. That was a big, yeah, that was pretty crazy. Got to open for the Stones. Um, and then another big one would have been, I don't know how many it holds, but the uh, Dallas cow the new Dallas Cowboys Stadium.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a big one. It.
2: Yeah, I've played it two or three times. So, yeah, there's been some big ones. I don't really know. You get out there and it looks so big, you just feel like nobody's there. <laughs> right, right. It, once you get over 50 or 60,000, it doesn't even look like anybody's there. It just looks like a cartoon or something.
0: Wow, that's so wild, man. That is, uh, I can't even imagine.
2: It's a lot harder to play for a clinic for 20 people that are like dissecting you with <laughs> binoculars and they're almost like sitting there like, I could do that. You know, it's right, like, right. That's, that's way worse.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. You um you talked about Andy Leftwich a, a little bit ago. Andy was on here, and he's um he's a uh, killer player, obviously. Yeah, he's fabulous, man. Yeah, he's he's incredible, incredible. Player. And, and you had something on one of those cracking the code videos with uh, some of those triplets, those real fast triplets. And you have, I think, you might have a little bit of a different approach on it than Andy did. And I'd love for you to talk about some of that triplet stuff because that stuff's so cool playing, and you make it look effortless. Obviously, it's years and years of work. But what is your approach on, uh, you know, throwing those fast triplets into solos and stuff? Just don't don't mess up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I, I, I guess from a, you know, from a theoretical standpoint, just kind of like sub subdividing down the rhythm, seeing, you know, what's going to work uh, in general. I think I think and, and I, I'd have to sit down and actually ask Andy or talk to Andy or check out his stuff on a one-on-one level mm-hmm. i think he's using like this hammer-on kind of thing he that's what he said yeah that's yeah and i didn't want to misquote that but you know he's such a fabulous fiddle player that i think he gets around some of that stuff by using his hammer-ons um to, to come into the triplets i'm actually just way dumber than that and i just pick it <laughs> off i, I learned to learn those mark o'connor triplets by picking everything and uh, i didn't you know, I wasn't smart enough to realize that I could use a hammer on to send me through. And I think it just stuck. I mean, I think that's the number one thing that guys like Troy Grady want to ask me about all the time is like how to pick it on. I swear. I I don't know. I just, I start with a downstroke, follow it with an upstroke and just keep repeating that, you know, and and I try not to overthink it again. It's like getting into a mindset of like, does it feel bad? Does it hurt? Does it feel bad? Well, that's not the right way. Delete that. And then try another way. Mm -hmm. And if you're not hitting a, a, a speed there, then delete that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's less about like, how do you do it the right way? And it's like, I've found 1500 ways to do it the wrong way. I just delete (laughs) them all,
0: you know? Right. Right. Yeah. What's that process look like for you? Like deleting it? Like if you're sitting down, let's say you're sitting down and you're just like, I I hear this lick that I want to throw in, um, you know, red haired boy, Mm -hmm. And you know, how, how do you approach that?
2: I mean, first of all, it's just like internalizing whatever that sound is. You know, I think that's step one, step two would be like, uh, you know, finding the right fingering mm-hmm. uh, by that. I mean, like how many notes per string are you going to use? Because groupings like four note per string doesn't work well in the right hand when you're having another grouping that's not that doesn't work well is if you got two on one string, one on another string, two on another string, like any, it's like being aware of your note groupings and fingerings and maybe trying to find a fingering that allows the right hand to work and as most economical as possible. I mean, that's like, if you really get nerdy, that's kind of the way that I'd look at it. Um, From there, you know, there is a certain threshold where uh, you have to practice playing fast. This is something I'm a big fan of is like your technique and your, your, the physical technique is so different from playing fast and slow. Like my swing is a lot wider when I play slow. Um, When I play fast, it gets a lot smaller. And, and, and I think it's important. I don't think you can take, a metronome start at a hundred and work it up in BPM increments of four and end up at 180 Mm -hmm. because you're staying in the same mechanic all the way up. And the mechanic is actually truly different at 180 and 16th notes than it is at 120 and 16th notes. I mean, that's a, that's a truly drastically different mechanic. And I think me and Troy talk about that in one of his videos, I encourage any of the listeners to go out and uh, seek that stuff out. He's really eloquent with describing it. I I just call call it going for it. Like at some point you have to put the metronome on the really fast tempo fall on your face and then try to do it again and not, and and not do the same exact mechanic. Right. You have to, you have to be aware that the mechanic that failed undo that from your right hand, because a lot of times you see guys, they're just trying to brute force the speed. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, And that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That's like, um, what's, what do they say in movies all the time? It's like the, the, the definition of clinically insane is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result right <laughs> exactly so it, it, yeah the way to solve it is like put the metronome at a, a tempo go for it and be aware of what didn't work and don't do that like if you're aware <laughs> that it's it's like self-aware i think so much of this stuff is internalized you know I think, I think a lot of players probably tell you that you
1: know
0: yeah and again they can see this stuff on that you got the Andy, Andy Wood music, your website, you get the the new true fire course. They can, they can pick up a lot of this stuff. You got a Patreon page, you got your YouTube page. So I definitely encourage everybody to be checking these things out.
2: That's all. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. Patreon is an interesting platform because you know, you can get on there and sub at whatever tier you want to. And you know, it's, that's like a one-on-one thing. Like if I see a subscriber that's at one of my tiers, it's a $25 tier or whatever, you know, something where they're like really supporting me. If they send me a message, I'll send a video back to them. Hey, Joe Schmo at whatever. Here's the exact, like it, it allows, it allows a lot more like direct one-on-one contact without having to deal with, um, you know, booking a lesson or scheduling or anything like that. You know, you can just be like, Hey man, I'm one of your, you know, so it, it's been an interesting way to learn uh, me as a content creator side, you know, sure. it's been interesting to come, and I, I found that, very rewarding, you know, to have that kind of engagement, that one-on-one engagement that something like
0: Patreon can offer. You know, yeah. How long have you had your Patreon page for? <laughs> Three weeks, maybe. Oh, no, no, <laughs> <I'll>, <laughs> right yeah, there. like
2: guy, I had a had a, a fan just kept I'll, uh, shout out to his, his first name's Craig, but Craig was just like, man, is, I want to support you. I want to support you. Start Patreon. I was like, no, 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 that's weird. I don't know. I, it, it, is it weird? I don't know. He's like, dude, just turn it on and 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 if somebody asks you something, they sub, and he kind of talked me into it, and like, told, he, he kind of took the, the veil of, of, of it off, because I had a misconception that Patreon was only for Instagram babes to pose in bikinis, <laughs> I mean, I just, I didn't like you know, I, I didn't understand how it could work for a, someone like myself, and a content creator like me, to engage with guys that, you know, have specific questions, whether it be gear, technique, or whatever, and, 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 you know, it's only three weeks old, and it's been fun to kind of learn it.
0: That's awesome. Uh, they, well, since we're, since you just said gear, let's talk a little, let's get the nerdy gear talk going with mandolin. What's your uh, what's your mandolin situation looking like?
2: So I have two. Um, one, one is a uh, flat bush. It's made by Victor Smith in Denmark. And I think tominsky has got one. And there's a couple of them floating around. They kind of got a hook instead of a full scroll. Oh, you cool. Seen, you know what I'm talking about? Up yeah. at the top. Mm-hmm. kind of looks like a um, and the other one I have is the Collings, and I don't I don't want to get the number wrong, so I'm just gonna say it's the one that looks like an F5. I think it's, <laughs> I, think it's I think it's called an M, if I'm not mistaken, uh, M hyphen something. Obviously, I would guess it would be M5, but I don't want to say that and not be the right. Right, right. But I, I, I love those guys at Collings. Um, obviously, you know, in a in a bluegrass and acoustic environment. I'm I lean into that flat bush because it's so freaking loud I can actually hang with a banjo. But I needed a a mandolin that would deal with stage volumes uh when you have drums and bass and not feedback. So I actually Collins teamed up and got together with Fishman and uh, they teamed up to assemble a mandolin and then that mandolin went to Fishman and Fishman put the pickup on it and then put it in their aura um, Whatever that thing is, silver box. They they ir it, you know. Oh yeah pieces. yeah. So uh, that mandolin is the one that I use when I plug in, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was out with Rascal Flats, they just had. Uh, obviously, that's a mega production, and they like, right. the aesthetic the aesthetic to the show matters, and they had a white reed glove that I played for that just because it was a white. You know what I mean? I was like, oh sure yeah no you know, for like sure. The, aesthetic the show matters so much. Um. And, uh, you know, so, and obviously, you know, it's the flats. You're not playing like, you know, traditional mandolin stuff It's you know, more of a, a parts kind of playing, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, man, there's this thing that I, that Eli turned me on to, as far as my signal chain, uh, Eli turned me on to this, uh, preamp. Um, this. uh, by grace audio hell yeah with the yeah 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 so you kill know, they like i've been kind of hit to that thing i really like how organic it sounds especially you know plugged in in an unideal scenario you know where you don't get to use a, a condenser mic because that's that's the workaround i live in where it's like you know perfect world yeah man condenser mic and but as soon as the snare drum hits that, that that's a you know <laughs> it's like that's, that's over Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of I, I try to keep it as simple as possible. I don't want to I don't want to shape the mandolin so much that my front of house guy has a problem shaping it to the room. And I think that's a common mistake with guys that are in that scenario. They've traditionally always played mandolin unplugged, and then they're going into a plugged in scenario. There's a lot of mistakes made where they just over EQ everything, and then whoever's in front of house can't can't do anything with it because it's so shelved and notched, like all the things that may – not sound good on the stage and the wedge that may be the exact frequencies that he wants out in front of the house you know what i mean and so so i try to i try to be as you know uh understanding as possible to the room and and who's on the other side of the board i want that front of house guy to be real happy you yeah. know so i try to give him a good natural uh not too eq'd of a tone you know what i mean what do you use for uh, picks and strings I, I'm I'm probably like every other metal player you talk to. I use a blue chip. Nice. Now. <laughs> so yeah, like, that's kind of the answer. Um, strings, Theodario, love love those guys. Those they've always been very very good company to work with. You know, I've experimented with strings here and there, but at the end of the day, I have such acidic. Hand sweat
1: mm-hmm. that
2: like it doesn't matter who's making the quote unquote best sounding string. You give me half an hour on it, it's ruined. You know what <laughs> I mean? So it's like, yeah. <laughs>
1: like,
2: If I'm gonna ruin, I, I might as well ruin Diodario's strings as just as soon as I ruin anybody else's. Oh, know? that's so
0: great.
1: <laughs>
2: but those guys, those guys are great, and they're they you know great companies to support with. I can't say enough good things about them and how how they are to their artists. They're just just fabulous people up there.
0: All right. Well, hey man, I know you got to get rolling, so I got two more questions for you here. If you only had ten minutes a day to work on something, what would you work on that would help somebody become a better player? Listening,
2: um, being being aware internally uh, of of the sound in your head that you're going for. You know, I think I think I think everything else is derivative of that. You know, you can you can say harmony, you can say rhythm, but at the end of the day, it's sound. You know what I mean? Like. The, the the thing that, that we all recognize with Sam is not his eighth note subdivisions, it's not his triplets, it's not which scales he uses, it's his sound, it's his tone, you know, and I think that goes to Chris or whoever, you know, Steffi or Bob Clark or any of those guys. I mean, like, sound and tone is, is such a, I don't know, I think that's the most important one. Like, yeah. so, I would definitely say just in, you know, when you're looking for your tone and your sound, it's like, being extra critical of yourself and being a perfectionist can actually help you out sometimes because you're always going to want to improve that sound and that tone. I think anything else can be learned and forgotten. Like I couldn't play a Bohemian Rhapsody thing right now if my life depended on it. Cause I <laughs> forgot. It, <you> know? <laughs> I think, I think licks and stuff like that, you know, whatever, you know, you can learn that stuff. Um, but, but, one thing that I think is important for everybody's individual musical journey is, is the tone and the sound that you are, because unlike a piano, your fingers actually are the hammer that hits the string. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so that's that's very important. I, I would say that. Of course, I'm probably wrong, but that's what I'd no, say. No, <laughs> not at all, man. I,
0: yeah, no, I don't think so. What, is, what, what, what are some things that we, a lot of people don't talk about the left hand sometimes. I think a lot of people talk about the right hand, um, but like left hand stuff and tone, how do you approach that?
2: and just trying to get things clean Mm -hmm. um you know being being aware of like fingerings that 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 sound better Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. you know yet again you could play the same same g in the same octave on three different strings you know it's like being aware of which one's going to sound the best you know whether it's the one on the you know the third fret on the high e or on the a or whatever yeah so on and so forth it's like just being aware of fingering positions it's going to sound good And, and the only way to do that is don't listen to anybody else you know what I mean listen <laughs> right. to yourself like listen to you play the mandolin and, and sometimes when you're playing it's hard to listen so kick your phone out and and put record yourself you know nobody's got to see it you know right so I, I think that's that's that works for me sometimes you know when I feel like I'm getting it right when I'm getting it wrong that's what I go to you know
0: yeah that's great man and then it is the mandolins and beer podcast. So do you yeah. have a uh, do you have a favorite beer that you like to uh, like to drink when you're playing? Or man, I kind of here
2: here these days. Uh, obviously, you know, growing up in the in the South, any old white beer kind of laying around at the lake is is fun. <laughs> but but if we're gonna really talk flavor, I've been into sours like uh, vase and you know what is it? Ghosts, is that, yeah yeah, some, yeah, some yeah. Those, yeah man I've kind of been into that thing lately. I don't like them. I don't like them where they're too like brimy or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I like, I like them when they kind of got a little bit of that, like sweet tart thing going on. Yeah. So yeah, it's not really a specific company. The Funkatorium in Asheville is a really cool place to go where they have all the different sours. It's a really cool place.
0: Such a great place, man.
2: So yeah, I, I think that's my answer.
0: Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for doing this. I know you're super busy and, uh, and uh, I really appreciate it, man. It is a great talk, a lot of great insightful stuff. You have so much great stuff on the internet for people to check out, and um, I highly recommend them checking out that True Fire. And and uh, dude, thank you for doing this.
2: Oh man, thank you for asking me. I'm 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 very honored, man. It's like you, you seem to you, you seem to interview all the cats that are killing the scene. So I'm just I'm just thankful you decided to call me. No
0: oh, man, thanks so much. There you go, Andy Wood, everybody. Be sure to go to andywoodmusic.com. He's got links to all his things also at mandolinsbeer.com. I'll have links to that Bohemian Rhapsody video for you all to check out and that Hit Points video where he does a the Castlevania-themed song. Thank you to Tristan Scroggins for taking some time here to call in today and talking about his his uh, upcoming virtual camp that he's going to be taking part of, part of Tune Fox thanks to Peghead Nation and Mandolin Cafe as well. Cheers, everybody. Next week's uh, guest is Isaac Iker.